Hello, Origin. We have been working through the Lord's Prayer. And even if you're not sure which of the lines of the Lord's Prayer we're on, the passages and the songs probably clued you in. We are looking at forgiveness. We are in Matthew 6, and it is where in the prayer we say, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Verse 14, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forget of other this, their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Whew. That's heavy. Because if it hasn't yet, something terrible will happen in your life. Something so awful that if you told us, we would understand why it is hard to forgive other people. Something so awful that 800 years later, your grandchildren and the other person's grandchildren might meet at a beach in Vancouver, an ocean and a continent away. And one of the great, 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 great grandchildren has a need to say, you know, we won. This happened to Craig this summer. 800 years later, and somebody's still counting who won and who didn't. Because our sins still carry, and something awful has happened And it's egregious. And then we read, forgive us our debts as, you know, that as, if it's your Bible, I would circle as. Because it's in the same way, like we are forgiving our debtors. Christianity is defined by forgiveness. Um, Some philosophers even believe it is one of the primary distinctives of Christianity, is that Jesus came. And he says, God will forgive you. And we love that part of the message. And we need it. And we should celebrate the greatness of what Jesus did on the cross. And the power of the resurrection. And the meaning that there is life in those atrocities. In the horror of what's happened to us. And yet, we struggle. We struggle I struggle to forgive, well, this was some years ago, a roommate. I'm in grad school. I paid my rent, my half of the rent, all summer, four months of rent, while I was working in a different city. I come back. We're connecting. We're having this lovely talk. I had just gotten engaged to Craig. I asked her to be at my wedding. We're having this wonderful call. Oh, and by the way, I'm moving out tomorrow. Y'all, it was two days before classes started. We also had the awkward situation of having a sofa and a double bed. And so you wanted to know the person well. You didn't want rank stranger roommates in this small apartment. She didn't offer to pay the next four months of her rent. 
She left me rentless, still in my wedding, and she didn't, and I didn't talk for a while. And then I felt ashamed in front of all our friends. It became this, and they didn't understand my pain and my guilt. Yeah, money was tight, and her not paying her half of the rent was a thing. But looking back, it was the pain in my heart, the sense of betrayal. Okay, so we're talking, I love Jesus' forgiveness, but frankly, I did the math. I was like, well, my goodness, I couldn't forgive her for $480 and some hurt. And, you know, she wasn't a bad person. She had just come back from teaching children on a small island who had no educator. She loved Jesus. I loved Jesus. I loved her. She loved me. But it was awful. And so forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Means that we sit with where our pain is. And this is individually and hidden, and so there's some shame. And it also means we have to face where our heart has been broken. What are we sorrowful for? So shame and sorrow are fertile soil for unforgiveness. And the Lord wants to be life-giving, and he wants to move us into freedom and into joy and peace. But we fake it, and we don't sit with the pain. Now, sometimes it's a, a bit of hubris, like in Matthew 18 that was just read for us. We, want, we have received the high king of heaven's forgiveness, but we want to be king and judge when somebody wrongs us. And we will hold them responsible until they show us they're really sorry. Isn't that what happens in Matthew 18? And the king says, no, that's not how this works. Now, in the Bible... They want it. There's every kind of wrongs covered. There's like three different Hebrew words, a couple of different Greek words. This isn't a word study sermon, but I want to acknowledge the Bible makes clear <laughs> there are sins of guilt, rebellion, disobedience. There's also in the Psalms it even says, oh, and all the things I don't even know I've done, Lord. Forgive me for all that. <laughs> but in forgiveness... We are acknowledging that other people have hurt us, have not given us the due, the respect, have not fulfilled their commitments or responsibilities to us. Whew, and it feels too much. Realizing the Sermon on the Mount is the context of the Lord's Prayer here in Matthew. So in Matthew 5 through 7, you might in your own time this week, read it in the whole context. In earlier in Matthew 5, he says, if you call somebody a fool, that's like murder. He says, if you are offering a great offering to the Lord, and all of a sudden you realize that um, somebody has something against you. Note this. It's not you have something against them. It's you're saying they're mad at me. I've hurt them. I, you know, in our heart of hearts, we go, well, I didn't mean it. It wasn't that serious. I didn't do anything wrong. 
But Jesus said, if you realize your brother or sister has something against you, leave your offering. Leave your writing of your relationship with God and go and reconcile. I've been in a church where in the Lord's Supper, before we took it, we were asked if we had broken relationships. And there were times where we had to move around the building. There are times where we tech now I'm thinking, oh, I should text this person before I take communion. Because when we come into the presence of God, does someone have something against you? This is Matthew 5, 23. If someone has something against you, make it easier for them to forgive you and go and be reconciled. Also in the Sermon on the Mount, it says, Don't judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. We know God's graciousness. We know he gave his one and only son for us. And he has poured out love and forgiveness. And that is to be thankful and celebrated. But again, it is hard. In the place where we feel shame and the place where we feel sorrow, how can we forgive? Also, I want you to notice in our Lord's Prayer, this is still communal. This isn't just forgive me my sin, my debt. It's forgive us our debts. Um, in the Canadian Christian context, one of the big debts that we have is the residential school system. And the reconciliation poll, a few of you were there when it was raised six years ago. And when this reconciliation poll was raised, you can go online and it will describe every section to you. But go and see, in the middle, there is a school with, I believe it's 30,000 copper nails that has gone around the province. And in that, they have allowed people to hammer who were in residential schools. And they've allowed children who had impacted their families. Craig and I and most of our kids were there that day. And um, it was hard. And there was this older lady and other people. But in particular, I remember this older lady. And she shared the abuse that she received. I was not born when she received that. My ancestors weren't living in Canada when she received that. But I do understand that people who took the name of Jesus inflicted those, that abuse on her. And I was like, oh, Lord, that beautiful reconciliation pull is nothing for the tragedy of this. And I wrestled, and I was like, and all of a sudden God said, oh, Ellen, oh, Ellen, you've missed it. 
This is not making amends for what happened. This is people across the province who have been harmed and hurt and violated offering reconciliation. Will you receive it? Will you move towards it? So, in the middle of reconciliation poll raising and reflecting on it after, I was like, oh, I have cheapened what the Lord has done too. I know he's forgiven me for some specific sins. But I have not brought to light and I have not sat with him about all that I need to confess, that my community needs to confess, and that globally Christians need to confess. Because, Lord, our debts are vast, and our ability to forgive quite small. And I want more of Jesus, and I want to receive more of his forgiveness, and I want us to receive more of his forgiveness. And so... We need to learn how to forgive our debtors. Now, you know what? As I was preparing for this, I was like, well, Lord, they already know it. They already know they're supposed to forgive people. Because guess what? Many of them had mamas that would say, I was this mama, say you're sorry. Say you're sorry. And there's this whole parenting debate. Do you make your child say you're sorry or do you not? Because if you don't make them, then they don't learn good manners. But if you make them, everybody knows it's not sincere. I'm sorry. The next thing out of the sibling's mouth is, he doesn't mean it. Well, no, he didn't. But we're practicing. We're trying. Okay? Um, We know that the Heavenly Father wants us to forgive. I suspect for some of you, you're already saying, yeah, but Ellen, you don't know. And you already have the place, the person, the events that feel unforgivable for you. Because the thing with I'm sorry is it has the same root as being sore. And your heart and your mind have become sore from that pain. And so what do we do? If you have your Bibles, look in Colossians 3, please. What you do is you put on some new ways of thinking and being, and you take off some old. So Colossians 3, since then you have been raised with Christ. Get that? You're resurrected with him. The death that that pain has brought to you is not where you're supposed to stay. We are resurrected with him. So now we set our hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So first of all, we set our heart and mind on things above, and we recognize we're with Jesus. All right? And have you ever been with somebody that just has better character than you? We all need a friend who's better. So you're like, all right, for me it's Susan. Well, Susan, I'm trying. I'm going to walk with you and follow your lead because you've got this better than I do. Okay? Now, 
Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. I'd say we know those are sins, except greed. We call greed all kinds of other things, physical responsibility. And I'm just taking care of my responsibilities. So we might look at that one on a different day. Because of these, I'm in verse 6, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Just an aside, I used to feel guilty if I said a bad word. Now I say, oh, Lord, huh, let's look at what's in my heart. Did this situation warrant that word? And if the situation warranted and it's actually horror at what's happening, then I'm not going to feel guilty. Or even, but if there's something in my heart that's unclean, show me that too. So the filthy language, use that as a test of what's just going on instead of guilt about the word. Verse 9, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Y'all, that includes the nice lie. A fair amount of hurt in Christian community is because we're trying to be nice to each other. And it breaks trust. And it breaks community. And it creates very serious hurt. So the make nice lie is a violation of community. And verse 10, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. We know God and we want to know him more. We want renewal in that knowledge. Here then is there here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So the things that we use to divide and define and identify ourselves, and we use those, and these people are in, and those people are out. Not in the Christian community. Christ is all and is in all. And that means that if for 800 years your ancestors have been meeting up, a beach somewhere else, a beach here, and saying, we won, you know. Or the more horrible things that happened before that, land confiscation, murder, and rape. In Christ, that's done. But it may not be done in your heart. And so that's where we invite Jesus to come and help. And then verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance or against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, 
Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. So when my roommate left me high and dry, did I tell y'all she had been a missionary? My missionary roommate who left me high and dry. It was a thing. Don't, isn't that how we do it? When hurt, something hurts us, we think, well, they, and we have all these qualifications. I had to memorize verses 12 through 14 is where I started in Colossians 3. And then I had to expand because I realized that without changing what I was thinking about, what my heart and mind were focused on, are they focused on Jesus? Asking me to forgive as he forgave is impossible unless my heart and mind are focused on him. So that is the first order. And then there's some things like lying and greed. I can still calculate the rent 30 years later. Y'all, something's wrong. 32 years later, something's wrong with that. I can say, well, I was angry to the point of maybe rage. I have to put off some things. I have to learn new emotional patterns. I needed someone to disciple me in how to follow Jesus with my feelings. I knew how to follow Jesus in behavior. I knew how to follow Jesus in spiritual disciplines. But you know what? I did not know how to follow him with my emotions. And I needed to learn to take off some things. And then, y'all, I needed to get dressed in some new things. I needed to learn how to not just put on clean clothes, take off the dirty ones, but I had to put on some clean spiritual clothing that included gentleness and patience, humility and kindness. I needed to remember that I was holy and dearly loved. I would say we need to get dressed in these things. And so we spend time making sure our hair gets brushed. We spend time making sure our clothes get cleaned. But we need to make sure our hearts are getting clothed in what is clean and good and from Jesus. So when we change what we are thinking about and we take off what is dirty and we put on. Do you wash your clothes just once? If we had some three-year-olds in here, I might let you get away with it. I had, I had one of my kids who had a favorite outfit, and like literally you had to wash and dry it before he was up the next morning because he loved this one blue outfit and wore it sort of daily. But unless you're three, I'm suspecting that you wash your clothes. Why is it that we don't know or don't accept from Jesus that we need him to daily clean our thinking, clean our acting? It's because we're sore. We are sore from whatever really hurts us. We have been violated. And that is going to take some courage. And here is what we can then do. When we have learned to set our heart and minds on things above, when we have put off what is not of God, and we have put on what the Spirit of Jesus brings to us, we begin to change in how we relate. All those tribal historic grievances that came up for Craig this summer at the beach, they no longer define us. Our identity is no longer in our religion. 
it is no longer in our name of our people group, and it is no longer in our economic status, but it is that Christ is in us and is in all. That is where you start to be able to forgive as the Lord forgave. That is how we start. Now, it's going to require some courage. I'm going to give you four movements from an ethicist. (laughs) The forgiving, did you notice in Matthew 18 when we read it, Peter asked Jesus, and Jesus said, forgive 70 times 7. All right, y'all, Jesus was not worried about 490 times, and then I've done it. The idea is that there is unlimited need to do it. Now, what helped me, the ethicist's name is Lewis Smedes, and he said, when you forgive, it is not 490 times for 490 different offenses, but you may have to re-forgive for the same offense again and again because you meant it when you said, I forgive them yesterday, but then you wake up today, mm, and it tastes bad. And you realize you are bitter again because you are feeling the impact of the hurt again. So here are the four movements. You need to hurt. You need to hate. Bet you never thought you were going to hear that in a Christian message. But you don't stay in hate. Then you need to heal. And then you're ready to forgive. I would warrant that much of our unforgiveness is because we avoid hurt. We don't want to feel the hurt, so we do what is called emotional cutoff. We stop talking, texting, or being with the person. We might change small groups. We might change churches. All of that to avoid the maturing work of the Spirit of Jesus in learning how to forgive. Because, see, if I don't have to see you, I don't have to feel the hurt. But let me just suggest another time I met. It sounds like I have trouble with forgiveness. I wouldn't have known it, except that when I was preparing, there were all these verses. And I was like, okay, Lord, I guess I had to work through this a lot of times. I think if you have a a tender heart, you are going to have to work through forgiveness again and again. So look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. When I say, let yourself feel the hurt, I mean bring it to light. It can be the hurt of your very own sin. And it can be the hurt that you are still feeling where others have violated you. Others have wronged you. And you bring that hurt to light. Now, the second thing is when you are real. And you're like, well, how broad? Because we all know 
part of working out pain is to connect with other humans. And so when something really hurts, sometimes people overshare. Have you noticed? Have you ever done it? As brothers and sisters in Christ, we sit with the oversharer and we listen and pray. And if we have overshared, we carry no shame. We need to learn to be wise about who we're sharing with. The Bible says, confess your sins to one another. And what happens is sometimes we're embarrassed of our part in it. So we start the story where the other person did the wrong thing. But we need to sit with all of it in safe spaces. We need to bring to light what hurts. And then we hate. But now we hate in the way Jesus said. Because how did Jesus say to treat your enemies? What's the first thing he said? Oh, y'all know this. Mm, Your enemies. Thank you. Love your enemies. Bless them. Do good. And pray for them. Y'all, I bought the tackiest bird plate one time and had to deliver it to somebody because I couldn't figure out how to do anything good for somebody that had really hurt me. And I was like, I am going to put this into practice. But sometimes what we can start with when we're feeling the hate is we start off by praying. And you know why that is powerful is because if we come into the presence of God and we are saying, God, I don't even want to talk about this person. I don't even think their name to you. But I am bringing them here. The spirit of Jesus can come and meet us. And so we love, bless, do good, and pray when we're in the hate phase. And then we start to find healing. And that is where we can truly forgive. And that may take a long time. Y'all, we are not talking fast food forgiveness. This is not cheap grace. And this is not earned grace. This is transformational grace that God has given us, and we are learning. And do you know why, back in Matthew 6, we have trouble forgiving our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors? Because, y'all, we can't face how much God's forgiven us sometimes. And that as we learn to forgive other people, We deepen the understanding of how much God has loved us, how powerful what Jesus did. That Jesus was the sacrificial scapegoat. Read Leviticus 16. And he took the sacrifice. You know, in the Leviticus Day of Atonement, there were two goats. One got all the sacrifice, but you know what the other one did? No, I cannot touch you. The priest would come and he would confess the entire nation's sins on this one poor little goat. And then you know what? The goat got taken to the wilderness. It was taking all that sin, all that brokenness out of the community. It was both paid for with a sacrificial um, goat, and it was sent away. That is what we, God has done for us, and that is what we can begin to do for one another. But we have to be willing to sit with hurt. We have to trust that over time, we need not the instant pot of forgiveness, but we need the slow cooker of forgiveness and accept that it's going to take time. Think about Joseph in the Bible. 
His brothers violated him. <laughs> they beat him. They threw him in a well, sold him into slavery. We're planning to murder him. Only one had a heart not to do that. And we don't know all of what happened. But after their daddy died, they were like, uh-oh. Now he's going to get us. And Joseph wept. And Joseph had done the work to forgive. And he said, what you intended for harm, God intended for good. Now, I don't believe Joseph could have said that when he was initial slave. I don't believe he could have said that when Potiphar's wife accused him of rape. I am certain Joseph couldn't have said that 12 years in jail. Y'all, the wrong was vast. But over time, he had learned how to move from his hurt, how to move from his hate, and how to begin to let the Father God teach him to heal and then forgive. And so, something terrible has happened to you. And if we all knew what it was, we would be with you in being horrified at the treatment and the experiences you have received. But Jesus came so you do not have to stay in shame or in sorrow. That you do not need to be overcome by bitterness and miss out on the grace of God. I am not calling you to cheap grace that says sorry when you don't mean it. I think we need to understand the gravity of how we at times hurt and violate one another. And when that comes to light, <laughs> the one who came and bore our sins and forgave us all will also send his spirit to give us the strength to forgive one another. Jesus ended the Sermon on the Mount with that the wise man built his house on the rock. <laughs> and the foolish one built it on the sand. And, and he starts that with saying, take these words of mine and put them into practice. And the call today is for you to join with those who have been very hurt and say, I want to be able to forgive. Now, God, can you show up and can you do the work to move me into being able to forgive? May you have the wisdom to bring to light all of who you are and all you have done and all you have experienced. May you have the humility to receive God's justice, grace, and mercy for you, but also for others. 
May you then experience the freedom God brings to you in forgiveness that you have received and the forgiveness that you can extend. May you be so filled with the love and with the joy and the peace that you have the strength to follow Jesus into forgiving others.